In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions, be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote. From accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht good blether. And you can also join in our blethers on social media. You can find us as at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode. We love making the podcasts and would love it if you could share them with your friends and leave a review on the platform of your choice. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Scottish Blethers podcast. I'm Helen Houston. And I'm Liz Lister. Well, episode 40, that's amazing. We've been thinking about it and doing it for just over a year now. So 40 weeks in the bag, Liz. Yeah, listeners by now will notice that we like to celebrate our milestones, any opportunity to celebrate. So there's a lot of milestones, but 40 episodes, who'd have thought it? Brilliant. And I'm really enjoying doing it. I'm really enjoying doing all these little snippets of of Scotland. And so what's your snippet about today, Helen? Well, I'm going to talk about ice cream today. Okay, I'll lead us off right before we have our nice um, cornetto or whatever it is you're going to introduce us to. I'm going to tell us a little bit about one of the iconic sites of Scotland nowadays, the Kelpies. So over the past few weeks, friends and former tour members from the United States have been sending me messages with photos of two giant inflatable horse heads that have been touring Scotland-themed events in their neighbourhoods. Now, this is nothing to do with grisly warnings like scenes from The Godfather. The horse heads are iconic images that trigger memories of time spent in Scotland. These are the Kelpies, 30 metres high, they're the largest equine sculptures in the world. And in April 2014, they were unveiled at the Helix Park in Falkirk. Close, perhaps some would say too close, to the M9 motorway. Closer inspection, which is always a bad thing if you're travelling at 70 miles per hour along, along the said motorway, reveals that they form a gateway into the canal system of central Scotland, from the Forth Estuary via the River Carron. You're probably aware that Scottish cultural heritage is rich in the oral tradition, with tales of mythical, shape-shifting creatures common. Those of you who've listened to my interview with Lynn Barber from Orkney's Peatfire Tales will have come across the Selkie, a creature that folklore tells us can transform from seal to human form and back again. Well, the Kelpie is the Selkie's freshwater cousin. In this case, shape-shifting water horses that are said to haunt Scotland's lochs and rivers. Probably a tale put about by anxious mothers trying to discourage their wains, as we'd call them in Scotland, from straying too close to the water's edge. The Kelpie will usually materialise as a beautiful horse or pony with its coat wet and gleaming, 
irresistible to touch. But beware, as soon as you touch that silky, magical hide, you'll be stuck fast and pulled deep down into the depths to a watery grave. The Kelpie may also appear in human form, this time a warning to beware of good-looking strangers you may come across on your travels, as the same fate will befall you. Strange, but it seems that nearly always they appear as male, so it's women who are getting the warning. The Kelpie does have one weak spot, though. It's said that if you can get hold of and remove its bridle, then it becomes your captive. And if used for agricultural work, they were said to have the strength of ten horses. Perhaps it was this that provided Andy Scott, the designer and sculptor of the Kelpies, with the link to the heavy horses that once hauled the barges that powered Scotland's Forth and Clyde and Union Canals that formed transport arteries of the Industrial Revolution. He visualised gigantic steel statues as a monument to the horse and a peon to the lost industries of the Falkirk area. I looked it up, Helen, and peon means a song or creative work of praise or triumph. So our first new word of the day. Very good, because I thought, well, that's a funny word, Liz. It's a peon. <laughs> a horse pulling a barge could pull 50 times as much cargo as it could pull in a cart or wagon. And these heavy horses carried the iron ore, coal, castings and pig iron for the ironworks of the area that gave Falkirk the reputation as the Crucible of Scotland. Bars Soft Drinks Company, that you've come across already as creators of our famous iron brew, would later use Carnera, reputed to be the world's largest horse, to haul their delivery wagons around Falkirk in the 1930s. Carnera was 19 hands or 6 foot 6 inches tall and it took 24 inches 2 feet of iron bar to make one of his shoes 7 inches longer than the average. But he came to a sad end in January 1937 when he slipped on cobblestones and all efforts to lift him back up again failed. Oh, Oh, that's sad. Of course, heavy horses were also used in agriculture for ploughing, harrowing, sowing, reaping and carting the produce to market. And the breeds typically used on the farms were the Lanark and the Clydesdales. It was these that Andy Scott used as his models. Andy had already earned himself a reputation as Scotland's foremost equine sculptor as a result of a previous work called The Heavy Horse, which was placed beside the M8 motorway east of Glasgow in 1997, as an emblem of Glasgow's roots in heavy industry and manufacturing. But that horse was just 14 feet, or 4.5 metres tall. And when Andy was approached by Scottish canals, the structures they envisaged were monumental by comparison. Originally, the Kelpies had been intended to be functional as well as aesthetic, operating as a moving boat lift to carry boats from one level to another, where the Forth and Clyde Canal meets the River Carron and the Firth of Forth and North Sea beyond. One of the massive horse heads was to have rocked forward 16 feet and the other was to have raised backwards by the same distance. But eventually the engineering challenges became insurmountable and the structures became a work of public art. It has to be said, not always well received by the critics. In 2008, Scott created three-metre-high miniature-scale models, or marquettes, as they were called, in his Glasgow studio. 
about one-tenth the size of the completed sculpture. My first set was to test out the design, and the second set was a more refined version that would form the basis of the finished work. The final nine-feet unpolished steel marquettes were then dipped in a vat of zinc to galvanise them and protect them against corrosion. They were then displayed locally, including at the entrance to Edinburgh Airport, nationally, and then internationally, including Chicago and New York. This created a buzz amongst the public. Scaling them up to their final size wasn't an easy process. It took eight years to take the Kelpies from the sculpture's vision to an artist's vision, and then finally to take it to an engineered reality that still retained the sculpture's vision. The finished marquettes were scanned by lasers to create a 3D computer model that enabled steel fabricators to create accurate, full-scaled, galvanised stainless steel plates welded onto a skeleton of structural steel bars. 928 unique stainless steel panels in total. The mosaic effect created by the flow of the plates and the view through the openings capture the horses as if they're in motion. Construction began in late 2013. The site was prepared in advance with foundations more than 30 metres deep. And when the 30,000 components arrived on site, it took just 75 days for this giant puzzle to be painstakingly slotted into place. It was clear from the moment that the first bit of steel was placed in the ground that they would dominate the landscape. This eight-year project, which some thought would never be completed, came to a close with an opening ceremony featuring a dramatic lighting display. The finished product is not just a beautiful piece of artwork, it's a showcase of innovative structural and mechanical engineering and is now one of Scotland's most popular tourist attractions. You can take a tour and even go inside to marvel at the complexity and the engineering which created these fantastic pieces of art. Well, Helen, you'll be familiar with them. They're not far away from us, are they? No, and they're absolutely stunning. And uh, I was just saying, Liz, that our listeners might be able to find somewhere on the internet. There was a very good documentary made a few years back telling about the Kelpies and how they were made with Andy Scott. So if they look it up, they might find it, telling all the things that you were saying, Liz, these difficulties that they had in scaling up the size. Yeah, and the cost. I mean, eventually it was millions. But you're right, Helen, the the documentary that was produced is fascinating. And particularly to be introduced to Duke and Baron, who were two working Clydesdale horses that were the models for Andy Scott to work on to to create his uh, little marquettes before they were scaled up. And didn't Duke and Baron live on Glasgow Green? They did. They were kept in a field somewhere at Pollock, I think, and they were a great celebrity with the the children. In fact, Baron, who was the the major model, he died in 2019 after a bout of colic. And it was a tragedy. Everybody was so upset by the loss. They were such famous characters in the Glasgow area. I mean, I think the heavy horse is just so Glasgow and the west of Scotland. And I don't know whether, Liz, you know the one at Greenock, what I call the sugar horse. It's a statue of the of the heavy horse that used to haul the you know the sugar sacks, and it's he's lifting up his paw as if licking the sugar off the paw, lift, <laughs> lifting the sugar off his hoof, you uh-huh. know, and it's really really nice. It's, I don't think it's an Andy Scott, but the other thing about Andy Scott is that his studios were 
right on the banks of the canal where many you know, industries were in the old days so they could get their goods just straight onto the canal. So his inspiration was right outside his, his studio window. I mean, he's probably our most famous contemporary sculptor because everywhere you go in Scotland, he's very prolific. Particularly, he started off, I mean, he came from you originally from the Falkirk area, although he lives in, in Glasgow now. But a lot of the roundabouts in Clackmannan, which is the smallest county in Scotland, have pieces of his artwork when he was just starting out. And uh, of course, one of his most recent is Charles Rennie Mackintosh. I think it was him that was responsible for that, wasn't it, Helen? Oh, right. I didn't realise that, Liz. Yes. I think it was. I think I'm right in saying that, um, which is a, a giant monumental sculpture to one of our most famous artists in his home of Glasgow. No, I, I really I really think that the, the Kelpies at the Helix Centre are just phenomenal. And it's not really until you actually go into the area and walk up to the Kelpies, you just feel their stature, their height, their massiveness. And you, you mentioned the Helix Park there. I mean, people don't often go to the Falkirk and Grangemouth areas if they come on a visit to Scotland. But the Helix Park was a £43 million transformation of a 350 hectare site on the former industrial areas between Falkirk and Grangemouth. And nowadays it's open parkland. Of course, in addition to having at one end, they've got the Kelpies. At the other end, they've got the, the Falkirk Wheel which is worth an episode in its own right, a future episode. It, it is, and it's a lovely walk along the canal between the two. And then, of course, when you get to the Falkirk Wheel, you could go up to the Roman fort. So there's everything from modern-day sculptures up to Roman forts. Absolutely. And, and nowadays, they've also introduced a selfies trail, where at various points along the route, and um, between the Kelpies and the Falkirk Wheel, they have um, spots where you stop, you take your selfie and you can send it in and then they feature it. Um, each month they have a variety of selfies featured in a competition. Oh, that's great. That's absolutely super. Well, Liz, do you think it's time for a wee, a wee lick of ice cream? I think that I'm on my holidays, Helen. It's not very nice outside my window, but transport me to summer holidays. Right. Well, of course, Liz, as you know, it must be Italian, not walls. And this is the saying that ring, still rings in my ear from my mother. It must be Italian, not walls. And you'll see queues forming outside ice cream shops all over Scotland in Edinburgh, Dundee, St Andrews and every town, whether coastal or mainland, in between. And how did this cold luxury item become such a treasured tradition in Scotland? Well, to begin the story, we need to set the scene in late 19th century Italy. From the mid-1800s, Italian immigrants came to Britain from poor mountainous areas, including around Parma and Lucca, and by the end of the century, from more southerly provinces. Most Italians came to Britain in the second half of the 19th century as poor and uneducated economic migrants. There was little industrial development and few opportunities for individual advancement in Italy from the mid to late 1800s. Most Italians who settled in Britain at this time came first of all to London, but by the 1880s had reached Glasgow. Many Italians who settled in Glasgow came from the Lucca area, especially the small town of Barga. 
By the end of the 19th century, more people came to Britain from southern Italy, and by the 20th century, the Italian community was increasingly associated with the food trade, including ice cream. Lots of Italians left their homeland around this time, and some paid a hefty fee to be taken across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States, only to find themselves dropped off at Portobello, starting a new life in Edinburgh by accident rather than by design. An Italian saloon with billiards and a soda fountain. That was what these Italian entrepreneurs were looking to set up. Cafes such as these helped to integrate the new arrivals into the communities of Scottish towns and cities. They were popular ventures for immigrants, and locals took very quickly to the idea. They started appearing everywhere. In Glasgow in 1903, there were 89 ice cream shops in the city. A year later, it was 184. And a year after that, in 1905, there were estimated to be 336 ice cream shops in the Glasgow area. For some Italians, trading began poorly and only really picked up when the family started selling chips as well as ice cream. Potatoes were cheap. Families who settled in Scotland are still well known today. We've got Janetta's in St Andrews, Equi of Hamilton, Bisocci at Brotty Ferry, Lucas of Musselburgh, DeVito's in Dunfermline, Corrieri's in Stirling, and the two families, Nardini and Castlevecchi, who dominated the large seafront. The infant industry thrived in Scotland in the early part of the 20th century, but in the years leading up to World War I, opposition to Italian cafes still existed, perhaps even increasing in step with the growth of these businesses. In Glasgow, those individuals and institutions that had long ruled over the city were alarmed by these Sabbath traders who were deemed subverses merely by opening on the day of rest. They weren't considered respectable by the middle classes or the Kirk, partly because it was where boys and girls, teenagers, young women and men could be together unsupervised and with clearly all the immorality that could come from this kind of consorting between the sexes. In the 20s, it was a very straight-laced society. Almost a century on, the industry has evolved and changed, but still has an important place in Scottish society. No longer the official headquarters of lustful teenagers, these cafes are still opening up, the traditional families still operate, and there are a few new kids on the block with modern recipes and flavour combinations to throw in the mix. It's exciting, and what could be more fun than working with ice cream? Throughout the centuries, pilgrims have long been going to St Andrews, but today my pilgrimage to St Andrews is to Janetta's. In 1908, Bennett Janetta started the family business at 31 South Street, St Andrews, as a soda parlour and tobacconist. Then in the late 1960s and 70s, the family expanded into a range of ice cream flavours dramatically and refurbished the shop into a modern Italian gelateria. Gel- gel- I can never pronounce that word, Liz. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> it's, it's still a family business with great-granddaughter Nicola Hazel and her husband Owen running the business. 
as you know, I'm a daughter of the rock. No. And the family. <laughs> yes, I had to get it in, Liz. And the family I associate with Sterling are the Corrieri's. Robert Corrieri's family originated in Lucca, Tuscany, coming to Ayrshire in Scotland in 1897, and then to Kelty in Fife, where he opened a traditional fish and chip shop and a small cafe specialising in homemade ice cream. But the cafe in Cosby Head, Stirling, is the result of over 50 years of passion and hard work by the family, and it has served generations of locals, including myself. And the Allen Water Cafe in Bridge of Allen has been with the Bocelli family since 1902. It produces some of the finest fish and chips in Scotland, and ice cream using a secret family recipe that has been handed down through the generations. A real treat to round off a day in Bridge of Allen. And the only decision to make is which flavour shall I have? That's exactly what I was going to ask you. What's your favourite? Oh, my favourite's vanilla. I cannot get past vanilla. And that, of course, was the first flavour and the only flavour up until relatively recently. But I was going to say that Sterling, I'm just going to go on a wee bit about Sterling, Liz. You know me and Sterling. God, yeah. Go on. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got a rich ice cream heritage and Scotland's first purpose-built ice cream factory after World War II was built in the Drip Road in Stirling by William Asher and Company, which was founded in 1936. And you'll see these businesses, they're still operating and it's operated by the third generation of the family. And they specialise in the retail sale of ice cream at static sites and outdoor events throughout Scotland. And you'll see their vans sitting on the Esplanade at Edinburgh Castle and Stirling Castle. And of course, Nardini's. Who can forget Nardini's Cafe in Largs? It was started by Pietro Nardini, who arrived in Scotland from Barga in Lucca in 1890. His original cafe was in Paisley, but he moved to Largs on the west coast of Scotland in 1931. And the beautiful Art Deco Cafe opened in 1935. It was really very successful. But after a turbulent period in the last part of the 20th century, when Nardini's was nearly lost, it has been revived, refurbished and opened again in 2008. That's on my bucket list and I must go this year. But do you remember Liz sometimes being sent out with a jug to get ice cream from the ice cream man at the van? And who normally was Italian and would fill the jug with vanilla ice cream. And of course, seaside holidays were pokey hat, ice cream in a pokey hat or sitting in the ice cream parlours with an ice cream soda. What memories, what memories. I mean, all these memories are flooding back to me. You're absolutely right. The jug, it was a bowl that I would go out with. You'd get your scoops of ice cream and then remember the strawberry sauce. And then they would put a piece of greaseproof paper. They would just dab it into the greaseproof, into the sauce on the top to keep the flies off it as you took it home. (laughs) That's right, yes. Oh, yes, so many memories. it It was great. Yeah. And of course, I'll just finish off with saying, Liz, It must be Italian, not walls. Well, I'll come back to walls in a minute, but just sticking with the memories for a moment, Helen. My grandparents were West Coast, so I remember day trips to Largs and Nardini's featured very large in those. But of course, you may be a daughter of the rock. I am a a graduate of the University of Stirling. 
And so Corrieri is very close on the doorstep of Stirling. Wallace Arms on one corner, Corrieri is on the other. A student, you know, <laughs> what do you expect? So Corrieri paradise. Uh, very many happy memories of Corrieri's. And I would have to add there that not just the fish and chips, but I mean, the Italian, the pasta, fabulous there. Oh, yes. And then, of course, yes. nowadays, Ginetta's, because I'll join that queue that forms up the main street every day of the week to stand and wait. My favourite is the coconut. I've moved on from the vanilla and coconut. More, more sophisticated in my taste, I think, Helen. Yes. No, I've I've tried. I've tried various flavours, but I come back for the vanilla. And on my pilgrimage to St Andrews, I just stand in the queue and I get my turn and I'll say, two scoops of vanilla ice cream in a tub, please. And I can't remember much it is, but it's quite expensive. <laughs> it is, but worth it. One of my scoops will, will be coconut. It's always coconut. But then the other is more exotic. You know, I usually go for one of the sorbets, something like that. Oh, I mean, it just, I can taste it now. I was just going to say, I noticed when I was in St Andrews last week that they have the outside seating that they had, Liz, if you remember that on South Street. They've now got a kind of a lean-to canopy over it uh -huh. so that it's there for COVID times. You can sit outside the, and have your ice cream. And even if it's raining or, of course, too bright sunshine, you can sit under, under cover. Oh, everything moves forwards and evolves. But Helen, your mother was very dismissive of walls. Do you know that know. walls are the oldest manufacturer of ice cream? In fact, they're even mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> have, you, have you never heard of walls no. of Jericho? Walls of Jericho, yes. <laughs> the oldies well are the done. goodies. The oldies well are they don't get well much done. better. <laughs> But I mean, but my mother, who was so traditional, so many things, I mean, she just, it had to be Italian ice cream that we got. She just did not like the wall stuff, the stuff you got out of the freezer in the, the grocer's shop. Well, I remember that it moved on from being the traditional Italian delivery, you know, the, the, the van that came round. And do you remember, it must have been the 60s, there were little walls delivery and they, they, they had very exotic ice lollies. And of course, the other big revolution was Neapolitan. Oh, of course. Yes, yes. Chocolate, strawberry and vanilla. Yeah, so you got all three in the one, and I always remember at my grand's, she would get you would get the block, a hard block of Neapolitan ice cream, which you'd cut into slices, and then you'd have it with tinned fruit. I can taste it now. Oh, of course, that's right, you did, Liz. I I, I loved that. I didn't like too much juice out of the tin. I liked I liked the fruit and the ice cream, but I always used to just have a little fruit, a little juice from it. No, I liked how the juice melted the ice cream when you got that lovely sauce left at the end to scoop up. Yes, ice cream and, oh, it's just just lovely lovely memories of, of ice cream. And, and of course, the time that I was talking about the sea, seaside holidays, that was when we had our, our holiday, well, we had our holidays in Scotland. So, I mean, there were these ice cream vans and the, the, the bicycle. Do you remember the bicycle with the ice cream freezer in the on the front of it i don't remember that no i don't remember that one you used to see see them sitting on the promenades at some of the seaside resorts um and they've just refurbished well uh, probably about 10 years ago they refurbished one of these bicycles and they've got it in the smith institute in sterling the museum and art gallery in sterling I'll have to go and take a look. I've just got a vague recollection, but what that does bring to mind is going to the cinema 
and at the interval in the cinema, you know, the usherette coming with her tray and all the little tubs of ice cream, and very often it was Italian ice cream that was served up there. That's right, that's right. And of course, do you remember how you could get it? You could get it, as we said, the jug or the bowl and take it home and scoop it out onto your plate. Or you could get it in all sorts of things, in a cone or in a wafer or in a, a slider. Do you remember a slider? A slider, yep. Or, or an oyster. Do you remember the oyster? The oysters, yes. They were round, weren't they? They were. They had coconut. They shaped like an oyster. Yeah, and they had coconut yes. and chocolate on one side and wafer. Well, it was both wafer, but the wafer was dipped yes. on one side to chocolate and coconut. Oof! Lovely. And then you had a kind of soft marshmallow. Oh, that was, yes. And the sliders with the with the nougat and the, the marshmallow and the, oh, just lovely. And of course, then it then came along the 99s. Yes, exactly. With Mr. Whippy ice cream, where it came out of a machine and you, you got that fancy twirl. Yeah. I think haven't they built something like that in Edinburgh now? That's a right. Mr. Whippy ice cream. <laughs> it's the replacement for the St. James's Centre. That's, that's right. Controversial, Helen. Not like you to be oh, controversial. Not like me, not like me at all. But I suppose also coming right bang up to date, it's interesting to see that in a lot of the towns now, you're getting new new gelaterias opening. Um, in Aviemore, which is the closest town to us up here in, in the Highlands, there is an, a new gelateria. And again, the queues are out the door, right all the way down the street. Yeah, it, it's, just, it's just so funny because our climate would suggest that ice cream was not going to be the best venture for the Italians coming over, but they have proved to be absolutely spot on with their thinking. And we just, we just love them. And the fact that milk was relatively cheap and, of course, potatoes was relatively cheap gives us the idea why that you usually find an ice cream parlour has some sort of fish and chip facility close by or next door. Janetta's and St Andrew's, for example, Corrieri's, they all have. Perfect for the Scottish diet, the sweet tooth for the ice cream, and then you have the chips, which are a Scotsman's salad. And of course, if you're at Stirling University and across the road from the ice cream shop, you've got the pub. Exactly. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Okay, Helen. So let's move to, to word of the week. What's your word of the week this week? Well, I'm continuing on the ice cream theme and I'm saying we talked about ice cream cones. Well, in Scotland, that would be known as a pokey hat. Because if you turn it upside down, it looks like a wee pokey hat, a wee hat. And a poke, of course, is something to contain something, a bag. So a pokey hat was what we called our ice cream cones. Lovely. It brings back memories again. I think that's a West Coast one, maybe across the whole of Scotland, but particularly West Coast, I think. Yeah, I remember my pokey hats. Well, mine goes back to my big horses, the the Kelpies, and they might be described as muckle great beasties. Right? Muckle great beasties. Muckle means big. And the beastie, any kind of creature. It could be a wee humorous uh, a wee timorous beastie like uh, Robert Burns um, in the address to a mouse or it can be a muckle great beastie like the Kelpie Oh, that's a, these are good words Yes, well, that's great So that's the end of our episode 40, Liz Yeah, well, I, I think I might just go off and get myself an ice cream Oh, yes <laughs> Okay, Liz We'll see see everybody next week Thank you And there we have it, the end of another episode of Scottish Blethers. If you'd like to join us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Scottish Blethers. And if you'd like to leave a review, please do so on your podcast 
platform of choice. It's Chili Bye from me. Tata the Moo from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs>